All right. I just want to say welcome everybody that's not related to me. Uh, so the four of you, I'm so glad you're here. Like I am. Um, and I hope you had one of those uh, sheets. Um, if you do have a pencil or a pen, fill it out. Just try to replicate uh, essentially that, that box, just that line and the other box. So uh, we're going to come back to that and, um, and discuss it. So is it, is it depressing? I don't know. Um, when we talk about the decay and the collapse, the decline of the church, I'm, I just want to, I always just want to face reality wherever we are and then move forward. I don't want to deceive myself or, or ourselves. I um, am passionate about the church. One, because I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I want to follow God. Uh, as revealed by Jesus. Secondly, uh, because I love Jesus, I love the church. And like many of you, we have mixed feelings because like family, they are our family and they bring the highs and the lows. But I love the church because I love Jesus. And lastly, why I care so much about the church um, is because I love my grandpa. Um, I, 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 think, um, it, I think about this next generation, especially Church of Christ, um, I'm loyal to the Church of Christ because that's who I stand on the shoulders of, and uh, and my grandpa's Church of Christ, so I care about the Church of Christ. Uh, it's not that deep of a theology right there, but uh, I don't know. Um, that's that's my bread and butter. Uh, we're going to be talking about this today. I hope uh, to put us in the right direction. I hope this is some information that you haven't heard before and you walk away thinking about it. A uh, couple disclaimers first. This is uh, three hours worth of material. I hope to get in maybe within 45 minutes, maybe we talk. Please interrupt me if you have a question. Interrupt me if you have a question uh, when we go through this. Um, if I didn't clarify something, um, I am not a proponent of fast growth. Um, fast growth doesn't, uh, fast growth uh, of a church uh, is like attention, like Twitter followers. You, they don't want to do anything. I, we want commitment. Uh, attention is not commitment. Attention is, is tender. Commitment is family. That is the bedrock of community. Your wife or your husband or your loved one or your friend, that's commitment. Uh, what uh, my friends do back home in Chicago, waiting for the next, looking for the next girl, uh, is attention. Okay? Uh, Kanye, what he's getting right now is a lot of attention. Um, and uh, I was reading, I was reading this uh, this scholar that uh, just recently passed away, and and uh, I lament that because I wanted to reach out to him. Not that like he would reach back, but uh, he was noting uh, he's an early church scholar, and uh, he was saying that the church early on, you know, the first three hundred years, uh, it, it was growing. There's lots of fascinating things about the early church, but uh, he said the growth was like. Uh, it would be if everyone, if all of us had kids and then our kids became a Christian and we all just converted maybe one person in our life, that would have been the growth of the early church. Maybe we think of like everything was Acts 2 and just constantly 3,000 people were showing up. But he suggests that it was simply as their kids became Christians and one other person in their life. So slow growth, commitment. 
Attention is not commitment. We want commitment. Uh, and with that, we'll begin. All right. Now on to, uh, this is like going to the dentist. You know you haven't brushed your teeth in a while, and you don't want to hear the information, but you got to hear the information anyways. You have a cavity. We'll talk about what to do with that cavity in just a bit. This, this is just kind of what we're looking at right now. So Robert Putnam, I, I depend on him a lot. Robert Putnam is a uh, re reputable source. He was uh, uh, honored by Obama two, 2016 um, with the highest humanity, like scholar award. Uh, he's out of Harvard. He's uh, a social scientist, and he's very good at having his pulse on community in America. Okay, so uh, he looks at the church. The church has declined, uh, he says, 25 to 50 percent. I just like divide by two. Uh, has <laughs> declined in church participation. Just so you know, church participation is different than those who say, I believe in God. I'm not concerned about that. I really am not. Uh, Jesus was building the church, not getting a lot of attention. Okay, uh, so yes, it, I mean, maybe the decline of belief has, has happened, but church participation, church commitment, the family is declining. That's what I'm concerned about. Uh, secondly, 59% of millennials have left the church. This is from a recent book, Barner Study, um, and uh, uh, we can go on that another time. I will say this. I think it's like 10% of these people stop believing in Christianity. All the others, they just left the church. That's interesting. And I think we'll get back to that later. So, they, you know, 60% of millennials who grew up in the church have left the church. That was that stat. Uh, church of Christ has lost 10%. Uh, I, I made this about two years ago, so I forget um, where that's from. But, uh, um, so, when I, when I am talking about when we're feeling, when we're discussing, or when we're thinking about the decline, and we're seeing the decline, we're seeing uh, our cathedrals that used to hold 400, now 200, and we don't want to talk about it, there's two things that I see that people like uh, do. First, they ignore it. They don't do anything. I don't understand this, especially when I'm thinking about my kids. I'm 30, uh, 31, uh, almost 32. I hope to have kids one day. We do. Uh, and I hope that they're involved in a vibrant, robust community centered on Jesus. So I am thinking about that. Uh, so ignoring is not an option. And here's the other, the other way. Um, and this is what I find very uh, common. The house, in my, in my mind, is, has structural damage. And we're talking about how do we paint the doors. <laughs> you don't want to live in that house if they're only concerned about painting the doors. So what do I mean? I mean... Uh, this, is, this is cosmetic solutions to a structural issue. Uh, we're talking about uh, the, our elder groups, our preachers, our deacons, our leaders. Are like We have to fine-tune our mission statement. Cosmetic. Culture is too liberal. If we, ha I, we have scholars in this room right now can tell you how liberal uh, the first century Roman world was compared to the early Christians. I'm not going to go with that. Uh, it's, it's not because they think about, the world thinks about gender differently than, that, than we do. And, and we can't, we, God can't move in that. That's not, that's not the issue. Uh, we don't have good enough preachers. I, I'm looking at uh, preacher, that's so funny. I'm looking at, because uh, I'm, I'm moving. Um, 
and I'm looking at uh, job applications and resumes. We want a vibrant, excitable, young, skinny jeans. He has to have holes in his jeans. Preacher. And I'm like, ah, I mean, I don't, that probably wasn't in the first 300 years uh, job search when they were looking for a preacher. They are probably looking for a mature person that was grounded in the Word, that is in the, filled by the Spirit and preaching. But again, this is just cosmetic. Use instruments. This is a Church of Christ thing. Like, we think, like, all of a sudden that we're going to have a guitar that people are going to flood in. That's not the case, because guess what? All the other churches are dying, too. So, uh, you can't go there. Have a good enough children, young, youth, college ministry. Have a Christian in the White House. I made this two years ago. This is before Trump. And what, regardless of whether or not your view on him, uh, this is a view that maybe if we have a Christian in the White House, that maybe we can have policies and people will start flocking. That's not the case. Have a good enough hospitality team. Embrace women in leadership. I am not against women in leadership. I, I am actually pro-women uh, in leadership. That's my church right now. We are full egalitarian. But in my experience, people, I'm not like stopping people at the doors like, mm -hmm. we only have uh, 100 per person capacity. But, but I heard you guys have women in leadership. Okay, you can come in. That, that's not a problem. And nor are the other churches that uh, are egalitarian. Um, so I'm not against that. I'm just saying, don't do this just because, this is what I'm hearing. Don't do this just because you think more people will come. Do it because you think it's scriptural. Uh, and then lastly, not passionate enough. I wrote this one because I heard this this week that we need passion. Yeah. Look, we, we just, I, I mean, we, we don't. Um, we need to obey God. And uh, so passion, by the way, uh, colloquial, uh, we mean like energizing, exciting, and jumping up and down, kind of how I am, and I'm not preaching that way. No one needs to do that. Uh, passion in the Bible, uh, well, in Latin terms, is suffer. So yeah, we do need to be, we do need to suffer, but we don't need to be excitable. I'm not. That's not. That's not going to change everybody. <laughs> like the jumping though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you with me so far? Yes. Okay. Any questions? No. Yeah. The ten percent Church of Christ number was that ten percent of millennials or Church of Christ? It was Church of Christ across the board. Yeah, I believe I got it from the Christian Chronicle or the Church of Christ newspaper. So not ten percent yeah. Church of Christ millennials. Yes, yes. ten percent as a whole. Thank you. All right, so this is where we're going. All right, so I, I made this over here so you can kind of track with me. Here we have to find the principle of the way forward, like a compass. And we're in the sea we call the 21st century. We have to have a compass that's going to help navigate us forward. So we're going to define what the compass is, and then you'll, you'll find out what ACF is, and then the W is in just a bit. Okay. Um, let me make sure that... So... One of the things that we have to recognize, so this is, now I'm stepping into this first, this first stage. Uh, Robert Putnam and other sociologists, um, the church is a community. It's a family, it's an institution. And what we have to understand, like in America, uh, community and the community in the church and the community outside the church in America, they're inexplicably tied, inextricably tied together. We need to know that going forward. Uh, Robert Putnam wrote this book called Bowling Alone, The Collapse of the American Community, and uh, this is what he says. In the first, first two-thirds of the 20th century, so about 1950, 1960, all volunteer-based communities were thriving and growing. So, uh, 
let's say this is 1960. I know, so this, M, this is uh, 50, and then we'll go to 70, 80, and then present. People were voting more, church's attendance was on the rise, families uh, constantly ate together, people hosted one another at their homes, and they regularly went out. Uh, oh, what's up there? Okay, now you... I'm probably reading the wrong slide that you guys are seeing. Forgive me, let me start over. Uh, was on the rise, families constantly yeah. ate together. Okay, uh, yeah, people volunteered more in local community projects and as much as we can quantitatively <coughs> evaluate, people behaved in more generous and trustworthy ways towards one another. But then, and uh, I italicized, mysteriously and more or less simultaneously, we began to do all those things less. So what is he saying? Um, Oh, uh, this is going to be depressing. <laughs> so there's four realms. So he says, mysteriously, all at once, all community in America began to decline. This is real important. So remember, hold this in the back of your mind. 38% of decline in the past 50 years in the church. Uh, millennials are leaving, and church surprise, remember that stat. And so now, uh, let's jump out of our silo where we're just in this church lectureship and we're just talking amongst each other saying, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? When we step back and look at the garden, we have roses, we have tulips, and we have daisies, and we realize like, oh my gosh, the roses are dying, the roses are dying, the roses are dying. And what I'm going to try to help you guys do is like realize all the other plants are dying too. So uh, politics. It is Christian Smith wrote this book called uh, Lost in Transition. Uh, he's a sociologist, and he, he says this idea that this new generation is embarking on this new wave of social activism and political engagement and civic engagement is sheer fiction. That this idea that like all oh, these millennials, they're just there, they're in it. It's he goes in it's you're just highlighting the four percent or the eight percent. It's not this new thing, and it's actually declining. Um, how to write these down? Thirty-five percent. Uh, we're thirty-five percent less likely to attend public meetings. So when you have local gatherings, when you have, so we have a thing called aldermen. Um, uh, I don't know, you probably have a local council person, but when there's call to like civic responsibility, like people are showing up 40% less or even more than what they did <coughs> around uh, 1950 or 1960. 40% less engaged in, in party politics. I, uh, Jen Twinge wrote this book called iGen. Uh, Kids nowadays and early young millennials, they're not like super Democrat, they're not super Republican, they're super, they're just, they're not, they're none. And we also know that we realize that they're not committing to a religion as well. I'm sure you've heard like nuns are growing, it's also in politics. We are inextricably tied, the political realm. My, uh, my lovely fiance works in the political realm and uh, Obama came to uh, her organization um, and in the back room, he's kind of having a similar conversation. How are we getting people to be more engaged? How are we getting people to vote? Meanwhile, the church is over here. Like, how are we going to get people in our doors? We're all in the same problem. Uh, the informal realm. Um, this is probably the most depressing. Uh, so informal realm, this is friendships. This is relationships. These are people you go out and have drinks with hang out with, play golf with. Um, so 
A popular study is uh, in Duke, uh, at Duke in 1985. Um, there was a questionnaire that asked, you know, how many friends do you have? It was trying to evaluate what were the social relationships between uh, Americans. 10%, one in 10 responded saying, I have zero friends. Zero friends to call, zero friends to hang out with, zero friends to have a drink with, zero friends to hug and hold and cry on. So that was uh, 1985, and that was 10%. They did it in 2004, it was 25%. What I want you to see is that there is a decline happening. Um, so on a separate study, Harvard just came out in 2016, so they're like, oh, this is old. Um, uh, Harvard came out and showed that now it's 40% uh, are reporting to be very lonely. When I'm in Chicago, when I go out, I honestly, I walk in a room and I assume, and it's more than, uh, it's, I find it very true and just an experience that like a quarter of the people there are lonely. When we're developing community out in Chicago, it is not hard for us to find people that are just like starving. They're just starving. I went on a, uh, so I went on probably uh, a dozen, dozen, like a dozen, probably like a dozen, dozen dates uh, uh, I met this month uh, in Chicago for about like a year. So, you know, I was preaching, I was uh, eating, I was sleeping, and I was dating. And, uh, you know, when you sit across from a lovely person, uh, I, I want to get to know them. And how I share about myself is that I am part of a community, and I'll talk about my brothers, I'll talk about my friends, talk about my church, and I just, I just want to share all that. And I can't tell you how many times knowing this information that all I hear is that someone is very close to their mother that lives in a different state. Mm -hmm. Metropolitans are places where people leave. So you'll graduate and then you'll leave to a city and it's hard to find uh, friends. And you just like grieve. And I found this to be very true. Uh, the former Surgeon General right now is going around America and he's not talking about the Zika virus. He's not talking about obesity. He's not talking about drug addiction. He's not talking about alcoholism. He's talking about loneliness. Loneliness is, the loneliness that reported 40% is as deadly as smoking, I think it was 15 cigarettes a day. So loneliness has a, like, a health issue as well. Um, so I'll put, uh, uh, and then families are eating 30% less with each other just within the past 20 years. So eating together at dinner time. Sitting with one another and watching TV has decreased 28%, and we go on vacations 30% less than we did. Um, so what I want you to see is that the church, when we're in our silo and we're like, why aren't people coming? They're, no one's coming. No one's coming to anything. This is sad. Um, so... What do we do? What do we do? So, so I don't think that if we have uh, if we have a slip and slide into our baptismal, if we have lights, if like if I jump around, if I have skinny jeans, if uh, I don't know what, what's your strategy, because it has to address the epidemic that exists in our country. These are huge forces that are actually attacking all of our communities and relationships. So. Please don't tell me that getting a new preacher is going to change everything. I'm a preacher. I love preaching. Um, and I don't think instruments or any new fancy things. So, so what do we do? 
Well, I love this. This is Mark Chavez. He's a Duke sociologist. He's interacting with Robert Putnam, and he's a Christian. And he says this. This is, this is the Christian who's trying to solve uh, the, the church issue by church solutions. Uh, looking for root causes or solutions only within the religious sphere is like the man who faced with a flooded basement looks for the leak, not knowing that the water main outside is busted and every house on the block is flooding. Can you imagine a person downstairs in this basement trying to solve the flooding issue? Because that's what's going on in our churches many times when we're trying to find a new preacher or a new program. <coughs> not knowing that it's flooded, the water main is busted, and every house on the street is affected. So um, the question that I hope you're asking uh, is what is the water main? But first, we have to have this principle as we navigate forward. And this principle is this. If, the, if restoration is to occur, and when I say restoration, it's slow. It's not fast. Because we want commitment, but we don't want attention. If restoration is to occur, the church must identify <coughs> and address the forces that are hurting all communities. So this is my navigating compass. What's affecting families? What's affecting the political realm? What's affecting the Democratic Party, the Republican Party? What's affecting friends? Why aren't they hanging out? What's affecting marriages? So, what we're going to do... Oh, my apologies. <coughs> oh, are you guys with me? Because we're about to go to the next stage. So... Um, <coughs> I guess it doesn't matter if I write it up here, but I was going to write that. Um, so we're about to move to the three forces. And, and I'm, I'm depending a lot on Robert Putnam's book, Fallen Alone, The Collapse <coughs> of the American Community. Let me say this. His book's ended, was finished at 2001. What he predicted was that we would swing back to a more community-oriented society because he saw that we were a more individualistic uh, society in the early 20th century, and we peaked around the 50s and 60s, and he assumed that we would just swing back. But he did not anticipate social media, internet, and the iPhone. Um, so obviously I revealed one. Uh, so what are the three things? There's two criteria uh, that we have in trying to understand what are the anti-community forces, ACF. They're anti, they're stealing, they're taking away uh, our community. We have to understand that around the 1960s, 50s, we were closer, yet more friends, intimate, and so forth, by all qualitative measures. So what are they? Uh, the two things that uh, are criteria for identifying the ACF is one, it had to originate around the 50s, 60s. Does that make sense? So it can't be cats. I know some of us hate cats, but we domesticated cats a long time ago. I'm actually a cat lover now. Yeah, so uh, miracles do happen. <laughs> Um, and the second, it has to have an, an, uh, a negative effect on community. That's kind of uh, obvious as we assume, but those two criteria. Had to come around in dominant society around the 50s and 60s, and it has to impact community in a negative way. So the first one. Curious what you guys think it is. Rock and roll. <laughs> All right. So, first one. Uh, and I'll tell you this. So, this is the first one. And uh, so, Putnam suggests that 
10, maybe 10% to 15% is um, uh, the reason why we are where we are. Uh, sprawl had 10% effect on, on it. Um, so, Sprawl. Sprawl uh, came out, GI Bill was given, people had newfound cash, and uh, there was this relationship between the car and building new homes, what we find suburbia, and we started to live differently with new accessibility and ease of this. We found that we can now work there and live there. Why? Because we can drive. And guess what, Mom? I can still be very close to you because I have a car, so you can still live there. And oh my gosh, you know who I get along with? is Jim. Jim and I can throw him back and have great conversations, and he lives over there. And so uh, some days I'll go over there, 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 work there. Oh, and you know, I care about people, so I have to go over there. And then uh, I guess there's two different, oh, work friends. Uh, so people also in my church, uh, that other pastor that I can, oh, my pastor that I connect with, and the church that I go to. And this reality is, is that it's a new reality. <coughs> and if we don't recognize that it has an effect on our churches, your church right now, where is it? And now think about where does your pastor live? Where does your friends live? Where do you work? Where is your family? And we start to spread ourselves out. We've deceived ourselves that we could live far but yet be close. There is a negative correlation between uh, commute time to work and participation in your community. This is uh, David Jensen. He lives in proximity with his church members. We work 10 miles away with people who live 20, he's describing the normal American condition. We work 10 miles away with people who live 20 miles beyond that. My food grown 1,000 miles away from grocery clerks who live in a different sub uh, subdivision, date people from the other side of town, and worship with people who live an hour's drive from another. We serve soup to the poor folks on the other side of the tracks, but we don't know the person on the other side of the fence. If you live in LA, this is, this is soil that makes it so difficult for the seed that which we call church. So I wanted to, uh, I want to, there's, there's a lot of information I'm trying to like reduce it in just um, memorable ways. But the reality is it's not just screen-based technologies, <coughs> even though sociologists and social psychologists will, will say that the TV had more of an impact on anything in, in the 20th century on how we interact with each other. And I hope to argue that just a bit. But it's not just screen-based. So you got your iPad, you got this, you got your phone. Well, when I'm on the train, this is the only thing that people are looking at, including me. And technology. Um, So there's three things I hope to kind of uh, share with you about technology real fast, and that's technology is not neutral. When you drop it into a community, it's not neutral. It will affect. Our job is to determine whether or not it has a net positive effect. So imagine for me, with, if you will, that uh, you're back at your house, uh, and it's the 1950s, and it's a hot summer day, and you just come back from work and you're tired and you want to relax. But you also want some entertainment. 1950, what do you do? Where are you when you go back home? Watching Fathers Knows, knows Best. <laughs> okay, 1940. Oh, okay. <laughs> Playing baseball with your kids. The radio's work. 
Someone, someone like answered the question when I was trying to drive it. The porch. You're hanging out on your porch. Now fast forward to today. You drive home. Where do you go? You want to relax. You want to cool off. Couch. Why? And now, when we drive home, just because a TV was inserted, it's harmless. And an AC, harmless. It now has changed the way that we relate to our neighbors. And to not think about this, oh, thank you. To not think about this, in my mind, is crazy. Um, secondly, it's changed our leisure time. We spend, uh, when we get home, that we, uh, the average American watches 35, 35 hours worth of television. Uh, if you're over 65, the average, a, uh, the average person that's over 65 watches 49 hours a week. Um, it has a negative correlation between, the TV has a negative correlation between community engagement and hours spent watching. So the more you watch, the less you, less you engage. Um, one early uh, psychologist early on, social psychologist early on, uh, called it the more, the more, it has the more, the more effect. The more you watch it, the more tired you get. The more you watch it, the more you want to watch it. Anybody got their mother's account of Netflix? <laughs> you know, yeah, I, yeah. Like, I just want to keep watching Game of Thrones. No. Or not. I mean, my parents haven't told me that's wrong yet. <laughs> the power of the screen, the power of the screen calls us home and imprisons us. And uh, new research is coming out, and uh, I didn't put it in this, in, this, in this talk, but the iPhone is also uh, sending millennials and iGen, or whatever they're calling the next generation, more in isolation. You're seeing, like teen, we're talking about suicide rates right now amongst teens, and, and some people, I watched this one uh, music video that was kind of casting the light that we're not an accepting society, and so when people don't feel accepted, that's why they're committing suicide more. No, 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 we're a very accepting society. We're only getting more accepting. That's a great thing, but we're not embracing each other. We're drawing closer and closer to our phones. Um, and it's, it's also now, this used to be a, a middle class situation, it's now hitting the lower class. So that, that's just uh, an, a sad component, obviously. So, the last one. This one's difficult. This one's the most difficult one. Hyper-individualism. So I asked you, so hyper-individualism is what we live in. This is the water we swim in. Uh, it's really difficult to describe because it's similar to trying to describe water to a fish. It's everywhere around us. It's how we think. We think in terms of individuals and independent <coughs> of a community. So I asked you earlier, to draw a line in a box. Did everybody do that? Nope. Okay, never mind. Well, it, it try to, oh, that was actually really good. So, um, there's many tests that kind of uh, gauge how individualistic someone is on a spectrum. Uh, this one, it's pretty simple. I read it, I found it in Jonathan Haidt's book, Why Good People Divide Over Religion or Politics. The more, uh, so a, a person that's more collectivistic um, will, when they're asked to replicate the line, they'll replicate it in ways that are proportioned to the square around it. 
When you ask someone that's more individualistic, they'll try to replicate it in exact centimeters. Uh, at our church um, in Lake in Chicago, it's it's really diverse. We have people from just all over. It's funny. And I did this. Uh, there's another social experiment that can kind of gauge where you are on the spectrum. And you can ask people to describe them wor- themselves in in one word, like over multiple words, but just like words that describe uh, themselves. Uh, fill in the blank. I am blank blank blank. Uh, the more individualistic you are, you'll describe yourself in very just like. Uh, separate terms from a community. So I am funny. I am tall. I am blonde. I am, you know, yada yada yada. When you just when you ask someone that's from a more collectivist culture, they'll describe themselves in relational terms. So we have this community. We have uh, Annie Nono and Alan Nono and their parents were visiting. They're from uh, Cameroon, from a more collectivist society. It was their all their uh, definitions of themselves were. I am a mother. I am a child of God. I was like, you win. Um, <laughs> like, just, it was very relational terms. And so uh, w- the water we swim in is very individualistic. It's this idea that we are independent of uh, the group that is around us. I'm not an expert in describing it. That's the best that I can do. Um, so what I want to tell you is that there has been a <coughs> shift in America from a more community-oriented to a more individualistic, okay? Our orientation used to be towards the community. Now it's to search within yourself. Um, we find this everywhere. If, if, you, if, someone, if you're really nervous or you have a friend that's really nervous and he's about to go speak somewhere, what do you say to him? Be yourself. Yourself, right? Um, what if uh, I, have, I have others in here? Um, should you post or wear that or say that? Yeah, you should express yourself. Um, you're worried about an interview. Be confident in yourself. It's the wisdom of the day. It's everyone. Uh, look at this. So it, but this has changed over the past years in America. So uh, do you consider yourself an important person? I don't know what you would say, but they asked uh, young <coughs> teens in 1950. Twelve said yes. How many do you think said yes in 1989? 80%. There is a change. Um, if we had more time, we'd go into why the change is occurring. But Jean, Jen Twenge, she wrote the narcissistic epidemic. She said that there was just a flood of self-help books. Um, Robert Putnam will say, post uh, World War II, after you had this like coming together moment with sprawl and technology, we started to separate ourselves and we think more individualistically. It's a complex situation, which I just tapped an entire iceberg. Um, Army propaganda. In 1940, if you were trying to encourage uh, people to participate in the war, how would you do that? You would say, do your duty, man. This is a, this is a community-oriented <coughs> society. That's how, you, that's how you convict someone to participate. You have, uh, you have something that needs to be done at your work? Do your responsibility. Do your duty. Now, what do you think it is now? Army of one. Army of one or? Be all that you can be. So again, it's really hard to uh, touch this water that's all around us. But again, Robert Putnam does a fantastic job. He wrote a book called Our Kids. The, de- the colloquial definition of how we use our, our, our kids has changed from 50s to today. So uh, what do I mean by that? In around the 1950s, when we said our kids, we did not mean just our own biological kids. 
when we said our kids, we were talking about our neighborhood kids. When we were talking about our kids, we are talking about all the kids in the youth group. Um, today, uh, we, when we use that word, we just mean our own biological kids. How does this affect churches? This is scary. Um, say, say, you have a, say you have a church. Maybe it's decaying. You've got youth group problems. People that are trying to help out, it's, it's kind of dwindling, and you have this issue. A parent from the 1950s that's community-oriented says, our kids don't deserve this. I'm going to step in. Fast forward to today. Our kids don't deserve this. I'm going to bring them to a different place that has a better youth program. Yeah. This is really terrible for a community. Just so you know, side note, if I was giving a whole speech on individualism, there's a lot of good things. And there's a lot of bad things about collectivism. But I'm talking about the perversions of them. Okay. The power, the power of the age of individualism convinces us that we are independent of one another. So this is where I pause for a moment because now I'm going to get into not necessarily the research, but what I am proposing. Um, but you guys, this is, this is not really debatable. Uh, these things have affected the way that we live. We have a garden and our soil has been tampered with. And this is, this is my big stressor. You can't ignore it. You can't ignore it. Uh, I mean, you can, and this is, Again, I was talking with one of our most influential leaders in the Church of Christ, and I was talking about this. And his, he, I'm not going to say his name, but he was, he, was, he was kind of resigned, and he said, the patient isn't sick enough yet for people to do something. I was, and, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm maybe cynical some days, and I'm optimistic in others. Uh, and you can assume what I mean by that. But, uh, so, you have to, so, I think about this all the time. I'm now going to suggest proposals on how to address them. But you, like, study this for yourself. Look into this. And so here's my first W. And oh, any questions? What's a W? Oh, good. I'm getting to that. But I mean, any like, <coughs> Todd? But this church is growing. Sorry, that was very patronizing. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking about sprawl um, back in the day. Uh, you had children that they went to church and they had their friends. They went to school, they had their same friends. They went to Little League, they had their same friends. Um, they went to soccer, they had their same friends. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, today, you know, you've got your church friends, your basketball friends, your soccer friends, and they're all over the map. Mm -hmm. And the expectations of those different groups are different. Oh, yeah. You know, one, the, the coach may say, uh, uh, kill them, yeah. for the blood, you know, and uh, no, we must turn the other cheek. And I don't know. And, and they become so fragmented so that as a part of that sprawl, you, we've, yeah. we've done it to our kids. Yeah. So one thing he notes that I, I decided to kind of skip, but you just like hit it full on, is that we now uh, live in spaces instead of a place. Yeah. So um, does anybody, uh, she was a lady, she was the first African-American woman 
to go to an, an uh, integrated school. Oh, yeah. yeah, so she spoke last year or two years ago, and she was talking about going to school that day and, and just what it was like, and she was saying that on her way to school, her entire, do you remember this? Like her entire neighborhood started to follow her. And you're just hearing this story, and you're just like, oh my gosh, this is amazing, this is like inspiring. And then she stops as if like she was broken because she was faced with like kind of how her context is now, and she said, we don't do this anymore. And then she went on, but I was like, yeah, well, things have changed, yeah. Uh-huh. I'm a retired teacher, but I think back in the 60s, mid-60s, yeah. they started consolidating, where we live in Ohio, it's a rural area, they started consolidating small schools into big schools. Mm -hmm. And the bigger anything gets, Yeah. Uh, churches, mm -hmm. schools, governments, they no longer, you know, you lose that individualism, that, that familial contact, you know. And that's, look at your school systems. Yeah. You know, the totally. kids need to be, you know, I think schools are coming back to that now and realizing that, like, they have tried to cre create more of a community with a particular teacher with so many kids or, you know, because it's just, it's just too much. It's too big. Yeah. It's impersonal. Yeah. I, 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 I yeah, think. It's so good. And I hope, yeah, you, that, that you, you're already thinking of ways of how to address this. Uh, before we go on, another point is the, the people of God are called to be holy. That's not just about not cussing and not drinking. That's called to live differently. So anything that I suggest, and you're like, oh, that feels, that's not what everybody does. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, Todd, can you address the question you asked yourself? Because so I'm in the South. We talked about this earlier, and there yeah. are some churches that can point like, hey, we're growing, we did this, and we're been in the biggest church in America is in Alabama now we're in. Awesome. So what would you say, now, I have my opinion as to why I think they're, I'm cynical about it. So I'll let you answer that. Yeah. Why, why Can I get to that at the end? And actually, I'm just going to have the answer. Uh, one, because I think I won't be able to get to it, uh, to all that. Right. I am sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you think you're thinking about I know, I did, I did. It was, uh, um, now, uh, again, so sprawl, living in spaces, uh, I, we really need to think about how, we live, and so I am merely suggesting a simple way of. Uh, so one out of ten people choose to uh, move uh, in 2016. One out of ten people moved, uh, and the reason no, that's not true. Uh, the reason why people moved in 2016, they moved for various reasons, but one out of ten moved because of a relationship. More or less in part because they got married. No one thinks about where you live, where you sleep, where you sit out front <coughs> on your lawn. Well, we don't do that, but walkable. Um, we live in Chicago, as I've said, and when you walk in Skokie, you'll notice that the, the climate has all of a sudden changed. Um, I, I view this as a principle, but Orthodox Jews practice the Sabbath, and they do not walk. To, they do not drive to the temple. They walk to the temple, and as a result, they're forced to live in community. They're saved. It's this subversion. All I'm suggesting is, if we prioritize one another, which Jesus called out throughout John 13, throughout John 17, that we are called to love one another, to die for one another, and I'm suggesting that we be with one another. Because how could you love or be or do any of the 59 one another's? if you never see your one another's. So walkable, and then the second one is 
is uh, the second W. There are three ways that people engage with technology. The first way is, most of us do this, I do this, is uncritical engagement. New iPhone, gotta get it. Faster, gotta get it. Stronger, gotta get it. Makes my life more efficient, <coughs> smarter, comfortable, gotta get it. This is just most how 99% of us. The other, uh, the second way is strict separation. It's that guy that says no more and moves, or woman, moves to the wilderness and cuts himself off from everything. What I'm merely suggesting is that we critically engage or uh, discern uh, carefully together. Uh, so we do this in other areas of life. We do this when many of us just did this in the lunch aisle this morning uh, or uh, lunch aisle this afternoon. We were going through and we saw all the variety of options that we had. And what you did, you saw that and you're like, well, if I put that into my body, I know it's going to taste good in the beginning. But tomorrow, I'm going to feel terrible. The long term versus the short term. We do this we discern carefully. Uh, so, and we, care, we, we are very considerate of what enters our body. What I'm suggesting is that the church considers what it enters its body. And other people do this. This is the Amish. The Amish don't hate TV because it's shiny. They don't like the TV because they think that it would prevent them from visiting with one another. How would they ever find out if their, their one another was sick? If they were chained, they were in prison, they were further away. That's so weird. Facebook. 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 When I'm dealing with depression, the last thing I'm doing is posting online, hey, FYI. Super depressed today. <laughs> I picture myself of a smile or a golden retriever. But then I get likes and I feel good. Um, uh, we need to have individual and corporate practice. So cor what do I mean by individual? Usually with technology, we have our own individual practices where we say, you know what, on Tuesday nights, I'm not going to watch TV. That's great, but it doesn't necessarily have an effect on someone else. You need to have a shared practice. Um, in California, we had rolling blackouts when we were really young. Uh, I don't remember what year, but uh, it was on 5844 East Illinois. Is that the right address? No. Before 164 Oxford. Was that right? Um, so w when the lights went out, uh, when the electricity was cut off, what happened? Went outside. So uh, has anybody seen the end of, uh, has everybody, sh uh, spoiler alert, do this. Uh, it's that new movie where he does the, Ready Player One. Yeah. All right, can, if you don't want a spoiler, just do this, sorry. Okay, so uh, there's a, at the last end of the movie, this technology was consuming every part of everybody's life, and they said, you know what? On Tuesdays, we're shutting the game off. Everybody know, because every, that will affect everybody. Instead of just one person, there's a difference between you just having your own practice. The church is a collective for your body. Uh, a lot of us think of individual spiritual practices, that's great, but Paul, read his letters. It was a very much a corporate uh, emphasis. And the last one is... Minute, so wisdom, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Walkable, wisdom, <coughs> and so 
I do want to say, I'm against hyper-individualism. I'm not against uh, individualism or collectivism, but I'm against hyper-collectivism and hyper-individualism. Um, when Paul was talking about the church, he didn't say that you're a body and that's nothing else and then you lose yourself. He says that you're uh, a body of many parts. They talk about each gift and how they, and then how each gift helps one another. You know what he had a problem with with tongues? Not because it was just this crazy thing, but he's like, why would you go and do the spiritual gift when everybody else is there? You're supposed to love one another. This orientation towards, I mean, it's this individualistic mentality has gone back centuries. But uh, the difficulty is how do we, how do we, how do we come from, uh, move from a me culture to a we culture? That, that's really difficult. Um, I'll give my own suggestion, but this isn't a conversation that I hope your communities talk about. Because there are parents that are going to be upset with your youth program, and they won't say anything, and they'll just go to the better one. Like, they'll switch churches like they go to McDonald's. They're like, oh, they stopped doing this special, I'm going to go to that McDonald's. Church isn't McDonald's, it's a family. You can't do it with a family. So how do we move people from attention-based to commitment-based? Me to a we. Well, when we look at kind of how this developed, self-help and um, sprawl and technology cultivated uh, this mentality when we started to isolate ourselves, we started thinking about ourselves more. Yeah, uh, one important thing is when you shape the environment, the environment returns the favor. When we start to create LA and we spread ourselves really far away, you're going to think differently. If you're all cooped up and you're constantly living in this really tight, dense, and packed culture, you're going to think differently. Or it, you shape your environment and your environment will turn their favor. So, um, but I will address one thing. So Robert Putnam suggests that after World War II, um, immediately after and during, you had this common battle. <coughs> You had this common battle where everybody was participating. Um, I'm sure some of you might be more knowledgeable on uh, kind of like the history of that time period. And, uh, but people sacrificed for the common good. So Alan Hurst suggests uh, that, so we need to move from acquaintances, we need to bring acquaintances to brothers and friends to comrades. We need to make that transition. How does it happen? Uh, Alan Hurst suggests you have to have this communitas event, this, this problem that drives people together. Have you ever gone and done something with other family members or friends, and after that event, you got closer? That's what Robert Putnam is suggesting that World War II actually did. It brought us closer, and people were committed. What did uh, JFK say, like, two decades right after... Uh, World War II, ask not what not you can do for your country, but ask what you do. I don't know, I forget it. Ask what you can do for your country. Thank you, thank you. That's why we're teaching together. Uh, so we have to think about ways of communitas, and what I think we need to do is think about artificial uh, communitas. We have to constrain or construct artificial uh, mechanisms that bring us together. When I think about uh, any communities that I've been a part of. I think about other communities that exist and what happens when you're on the outside and you're brought to the inside. When you think about <coughs> gangs, when you think about um, uh, sororities and fraternities, 
or when you think about uh, teams. So I was here, I played for the volleyball team here. I was like third string and I was feeding, I was actually four string, giving water to the third string guy. But we, when I first moved here and I didn't feel a part of the team, what did we do that weekend? Under a tree. I'm gonna tell you, Mom. Uh, we went out together and they duct taped our hands and they put something in it and they said, you have to drink this within five minutes. That was the first test. It was milk because I'm a Christian. True story. Everybody else had a drink. Um, and, and then there was other tasks that they had to go through. Other, like, hazing or whatever. It's an initiation rank. That after we went through it, everybody was equal. We don't have these initiation rights anymore in our communities. We, a wedding. Like, after Alex and I will get married, you will look at us differently. Right? Slightly. But when a, when a boy becomes a man, we have delayed adolescence nowadays. What, when they go to college? No, 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 college doesn't end. I live in Chicago. Trust me, it just exists in Wrigleyville. That's where they move to. It's a neighborhood uh, where all millennials move to and they still do the same things they did in college, but they just have to work during the day. So um, what I'm suggesting is uh, we think of good initiation rights. Um, I, I, I visited one church in Waco that, so I'm, I'm really moving it and traveling around the nation to examine, like, who's addressing these things? And uh, this community in Waco uh, uh, is doing some really cool things. They live, they live inside Waco, and I'm not talking about the cult but that David Koresh started. That's an unfortunate thing. Uh, but they live in Waco, and they live within the same um, one mile, uh, half a mile uh, square block from one another. So this is not foreign. This is not strange. Um, it's just very few are doing it. And uh, whenever a boy turns 15 or a lady turns 15, they take them on like these intense trips, camping trips. And all the guys of the church, they talk about what it means to be a man. Or all the ladies, they talk about what it means to be a woman. And that you are a woman now. These are expectations from the community that you need to fill. You have to carry out. Be it you have to tithe, or you have to visit your mother and your father's now. It's not just like your own biological parents, but now you have more parents that you need to take care of. And they're going to take care of you. They're going to help you with your homework. They're going to ask you to mow their lawn. And you know what? As a member of this community, as a man, you do that. That's what we do. You start to name. You create a new reality. These are, these are my suggestions, but I do want to end on this. Uh, finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes what are the devil's schemes we're thinking about these cultural wars and the culture is too liberal and we're losing the White House or I don't know whatever you guys might have been thinking about or what I've thought about in the past but our struggle is not against flesh and blood it's not humans the devil is so smart but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I mean, it's just this subtle, slow turning up the heat as this frog sits in the water, and we didn't even recognize it. So what I'm just saying, I'm just, I'm just, I'll jump up and down, and I'll say, we, we you have to think about this. Um, I will say I have spent most of my talk, uh, last comment, and then. Um, Ryan's going to answer questions. 
Yeah, whatever you Great. Uh, so I, I think, and as I think about this, I think uh, this is this much of the problem. Uh, and I think that I, so of uh, sociology, uh, <coughs> social science, I think it's necessary. Just so you know, no one in this room is actually against, uh, is competing science and faith. No one in this room. I don't think any Christian is. Because when your daughter's sick, what do you do? You pray and? So I'm just saying, here's a doctor. And this is, uh, let's go with the theology. Now they overlap a bit because how we live is theological. And let's not, so that's, I just talked about this uh, for all today. Uh, any questions? Four minutes. Right. I don't have any questions. Yeah. Uh, you wrote the Chavez. Mark Chavez. Chavez, yes. And um, American Religion, second edition, shows these. There's a gradual decline. There's a gradual decline. This one. Catholicism actually stays the same. Talking about Protestantism, it goes down, the nuns go up. So it's, it's Protestant. But in 2007, 2008, it goes from just like that. I mean, just, I mean, it just precipitous. Yeah. It's diatonic. So, Igen. Uh, is a book by Jen Twinch, and she argues that uh, the smartphone, social media, and internet is this force, and she goes uh, as the introduction of the iPhone in 2007, um, you start to see this inactivity. So when you just look at that generation, she didn't do this grand, she just looked at this generation, and with the effect of the iPhone, you see, and even as Robert Pennon suggests, like, he expected this go, like, come back up to community, it sent it even more down. We have the TV at home, but now we have it in our pockets, and it's amplified the effect. So I think I think you can go there. I think you have to go there because we had sprawl, we had television, we had all this mm -hmm. stuff. We didn't have those phones that we do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like how much how much control does the church have over that? I mean, iPhones or. Yeah, I mean technology. I think it's a I, I think it's a parental thing. When you read the law of Moses, it was different than how Canaan and Egypt and how everybody else lived. And I just we need to reclaim the fact that we are not like everybody else. Everybody's spending too much time trying to be relevant. Why kids are are addicted to their phone without a community that's saying, Oh, actually we live different, and guess what it it actually looks different. I mean, I think you're right. Yeah, sorry. No, I'm not criticizing you. I'm just saying you have to have parents who, I think, will instill that in children. So here, here's what I think. I'm, I'm pretty pessimistic, if I'm honest. Uh, this, like, I am going to live, I'm going to do my best to live certain ways because I've seen that eating this way is not healthy for long term. And so when we are talking about how we're going to live, this is how we're going to live. So I'm talking to me and maybe anybody else that has the flexibility to kind of live this way. So um, I, we have to talk about this. I, I want to share World War II. My dad, long deceased, but was a World War II veteran. Yeah. And even with television, I mean, we used to watch the Vietnam War sometimes around dinner time. And my dad would sit there and say, People in this country are not invested. They are not making a sacrifice unless they have a child, a son, or some, someone in the war 
because of World War II, which is, I wasn't born yet, obviously, I'm a boomer. Yeah. People had to ration gasoline, they rationed sugar. Women didn't have hoes because all that stuff went to the war effort. So it was, the country was invested totally. Yeah. Vietnam, you know, was an unpopular war, mm -hmm. and we've watched it on television. We've watched horrendous things on television. And, but my dad felt like, you know, individually, not everybody in the country was making a sacrifice. Yeah. Only those people who had children directly involved. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of, that was kind of the same thing you're saying, you know? Yeah. It, it, that was in the 60s, kind of started. But I don't, I always think the irony is that we're more connected and more disconnected than so we we've have ever more, been. We have more candy or, uh, you know, protein shake equipment like, but nothing like you know, soul as, food. A, as a teacher I felt like people are missing the in the moment things. Because yeah. they're always looking at their phones. Yeah. So they're never in the moment. Yeah, that's <coughs> a lot. That's me. Uh, so, I don't know how you fix that. It's it's time. Oh uh you we can talk about afterwards. Uh but I would like to close in a prayer. Um because pray for courage, pray for discernment. Um, and because I honestly believe, uh, I love Jesus, love the church, and I love my grandpa, and I want uh, the church of the future um, to take care of my kids, and I want to participate in the church, because I think when the church is most alive, it's, it's best to be alive. God, thank you for today. Uh, thank you uh, for my brothers and my sisters that live all over the nation and the globe in this room. I pray for discernment on their part. I pray for courage on their part. And I pray that you guide them in the spirit. Lord, we all want to be connected to you and others more uh, because we know that it's good and our soul desires it. Father, we pray against the schemes of the devil. We pray against the evil one. And we pray against any force that tries to draw us further from you and from one another. And it's in this that we pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah.